With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And yes, today, my friend, we are going to yank you right up off that middle management plateau and set you onto the track of the C-suite. Now, you, you hear this all the time, and the question is always asked, how did she ever get into that C-suite chair? And frankly, my dear, you probably look comparingly at some of those folks that hold top company slots and ask yourself that very same question. And while I am a firm believer that coworker comparison is a dangerous depressant, uh, with the right mindset, it's not always fruitless. And in fact, today's guest, the markedly insightful and very analytical uh, leader of Navalin Consulting, uh, actually, he is the co-founder and managing partner of Navalin, and a very, very wise soul indeed, is Mr. Ron Carucci. He's going to demonstrate just how charting the paths of others, uh, fast tracks, well, can be a downright necessity in planning your own promotional strategy. Uh, Ron's latest book, Rise to Power, The Journey of Ex- Exceptional Executives, it's, it's your ticket. My friend, place yourself in that coveted position that you look for, and you can become the decision maker that are going to set your uh, abilities to best advantage and are going to make, help you make wiser choices once you get there. So whether you are a PR accountant executive with ample experience to move into a leadership position like Chloe, or you're a head of an expanding firm uh, trying to mine your staff for that top-talented right-hand person like Mark's trying to do, pull up your chair a little closer and join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined, to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. Ron, I am honored that you could uh, take pause from your absolutely endless appearances and speaking engagements to sit down and tell uh, our able listeners how to seize a position that will best employ their uh, abilities. Bart, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good you're here. And, uh, Ron, in your excellent uh, Rise to Power, the Journey of Exceptional Executives, you tell the tale of... Jordan, who is an executive thrust abruptly into taking the helm of Huntington Industries. Uh, And it's a job, in your own words, that he said he wished he'd had more time to prepare for. Uh, This is really sort of a common, uh, almost unavoidable complaint, I think, for people moving up. So uh, in your experience, I was wondering if you could give us, give the inspiring executive just one or two items of preparation that are so often neglected uh, that, that she really should be addressing them now. 
Well, I think especially for those who are leading from the middle these days, right? So the, the work of being a middle management person where you're translating strategy and vision into daily operational things for people below you, it's a much more – it's a much compressed timeline you're dealing with in terms of decision-making impact um, and co- the coordination work of coordinating across the organization and below you. Um, the work of being a senior leader is so very different, and most middle managers – when they get there, when they go from that director to vice president role, are so unprepared for the ambiguity, the uncertainty. So the two things I would recommend every middle manager do is increase their breadth, increase their ability to understand how things work across the enterprise. You know, most of middle managers are in a particular function or a region or a segment of the organization, and they see the world through that silo. But as you get higher, your ability to bridge the silos, your ability to understand how the pieces fit together. So if you're in marketing, you know, dare, dare yourself to do a cross the border into the horrible planet of sales and find out how they experience you, how their work fits in with yours. If you're in supply chain, cross the border into logistics to understand how those worlds fit together. If you're in finance, you know, get out of your world and understand how the people in the regions are experiencing the, the horrible spreadsheet you send down to them uh, called the budget. The more you can understand how the world fits together, uh, the more uh, prepared you'll be to lead at a higher approach from the middle. Secondly, you've got to know how other people experience you personally. right? So if you have not gotten the ability to get people to tell you how they see you, how they experience you, what you could be better at, get a personal board of directors, get a set of people around you who can narrate your leadership story for you, who can tell you where you're falling short, who can tell you where your intentions and your impact don't match and give you ideas and how to close that gap. I think so. So it, it sounds to me as if one of the things you should be doing when you talk about this, would it be fair to say that, you, that you'd like me to push my hands against a swivel chair, get up, and go meet those people in the other departments and even perhaps ask what I could do to, to make their lives a little easier. Good idea? Absolutely. Understand how how is the value of what you create and what they create creating something different, right? It's at the seams of the organizations uh, where value is created, where competitive performance actually happens. It's, no, it's in no one particular function or silo. So if you understand how your contributions and their contributions combine together um, and how and appreciate the, the challenges they face, or you, you uncover the, the, comp- the competing goals you have or the metrics that you have that yeah. contradict their metrics and find out where there are places prohibiting you guys from joining forces, you can fix them. But if you never go uh, uh, venture out, into the world beyond your own silo. Your, your bias is about the world of being so deeply shaped, which is why we see so many executives rise up through one single function like finance. And when they get to the C-suite, they see right. the world only economically. Or if they grew up through marketing, they get to the C-suite, and they see the, only, the world only through consumers and brands. Or they grew up in a region, and they only see the world geographically. And so you've got to be able to put in place mechanisms that will disrupt those biases now by broadening your view of the world and broadening how all of the parts of your organization fit together. Mm-hmm. You, that's, that's very wise, uh, and I, I think it's, it's something that it, – it's a, it's a flaw lurking on us that we all have to fight against, quite frankly. Uh, you mentioned something – you used a word that uh, – Middle managers face all the time, and I, I'd like to get onto it before before we lose it. And that is, you talk about comp- decision compression. 
that's two words. But uh, and uh, you, the, the the middle manager is sort of pushed from above, and I mean he he takes things from above and he has to translate them into strategies. Uh, and his his own decisions, his own thoughts, get squeezed between the needs from those above and below. Uh, is, is, am, I, am I right that, that this, is, this is common, and, and uh, how do I arm myself against it? Well, it's painfully common, and it's unfortunate because the, the, the middle managers often become, they become victims and helpless. Right? They, you see they're, they're almost their arms no, up no. in the air all the time you know, and, and, and thinking whatever, they, whatever she or he screams at today, that's what's important. Um, the problem right, is right. when you have senior managers who are not playing at the right altitude, when they rise up in the organization and take the decision rights and work with them – now they're reaching down into the middle manager's world doing their job for them, which then causes the middle manager to have to micromanage and reach down lower below them, and then you have people on the front lines just right. as spectators. And, and so the bandwidth, the vertical bandwidth required for middle managers is almost impossible to manage. Um, and so the managing up, right, the sort of the pushing the senior leader saying, hey, this is my job, I'll do it, you go do yours, thanks for your help, I'll keep you posted. And try to and negotiating boundaries and negotiating the, the the appropriate degree of maneuverability they need to do their role um, is an important thing. If they just simply accept the compression as you know the best they can do, or the best their boss can do, then they're just going to trickle that compression downward. And then you have slower responsiveness. You have um, minimal access to good information to make good decisions. You have uh, swinging pendulums of priorities that change by the hour, it seems. Um, and you have no ability to stabilize and synchronize the organization to execute because you're just – the tails wagging – all the tails are wagging all the dogs. And a, a middle yep, manager's right, hard right, right. job is to try and be a spinal cord, to be the firm backbone between senior leaders and frontline leader, frontline performers to stabilize and synchronize an organization that can predictably execute its work. You talked about negotiating boundaries. I, I think it's an absolutely it's a very good uh, idea that you have to do that. Can I negotiate my boundaries by my solid performance alone, or uh, or do, do I have to do a little talking and nudging along the way? Uh, you 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 can never leave anything to chance as a middle manager, especially, but certainly as <laughs> added to the senior suite. Okay. Um, never assume the obvious is obvious to anybody else around you. Um, and so right, right, right. you have to have very intentional conversations about boundary conditions and roles. If your senior leader that, to whom you report is you know, right. tampering down into your space, you've got to talk about it. You've got to talk about the implications. You don't need to go in there swinging a, a bat to be accusatory, but simply say, hey, when you do this, here's the imp- implications for me and my ability to do my job. And negotiate, you know, is right. this your decision or my decision? Is this – a problem. It's my priority or a priority, and get really clear because uh, senior managers quickly forget when they rise up the world of competing priorities and changing focus areas for middle managers, and they just don't realize that they're now the cause of that. Uh-huh. So you've got to keep senior leaders clear on. So that's an interesting point of view. You want me to take that on? Do you remember last week you told me this, right? And the two weeks before it was this. <laughs> Do you see, the, you see the problem here. We keep we keep keep swinging the pendulum here. I'm happy to change the priorities, but here's the implications of how much money it's going to cost, how much time we're going to waste, and what's not going to get done. Your call, but I'm just I'm just informing you of what you might have forgotten about from our conversation last week. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's early in the show, but I think I would like to say that we have just heard 
a quill pen moment from Ron Carucci, and that is he has spoken a timeless truth. And so I would like you all to take your quill pens, dip them in the inkwell, and jot this down, that honest conversations establishing your needs and implications do work with most managers most of the times, and it is a wise investment in your time. So thank you for, for bringing that one up. And uh, there's, uh, Ron, there's also another middle management thing uh, that uh, I've often seen, and, and I've, I've heard you mention it, is that um, there is a tendency, as we, we say, you know, the compression you up above uh, – you get the manager above and, and the uh, folks you work with below, that uh, there's, there's a tendency to collude with one side or the other and, and make that other side the villain. Uh, and have you seen this? Have you, can you have any examples of this and, and how we might be aware of it and spot it? Oh, my gosh. I think, what, what, what days don't you see it? Um, we're, all, <laughs> we're, we're all great at justifying our own flaws by making them somebody else's fault, <laughs> right? So what middle manager can That's point true. to their vice president or senior vice president as the reason for all of the ills in their life um, or, or the incompetent uh, team they got straddled with when they got promoted to director? Um, we all vilify the world around us because it, it justifies our own inadequacies uh-huh. and it makes us free of accountability. It's a wonderfully self-soothing right, technique right. that doesn't work, I mean, it's very short-lived. Well, at some point, you become your own I demise. Perfect. I, I have never, I've never vilified anybody, no matter how what 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 sort of jerks and idiots they are. I, I have never done anything like that. <laughs> right. We're all compassionate and tolerant and giving. <laughs> oh, oh, um, yeah. And so I think I you need only listen to the tapes in your head, and count the number of times you use the word you use the word they, uh, <laughs> as the beginning of any explanation for any problem you're facing. Uh, and that's your first clue that you are in fact vilifying. Oh, very good. Um, and then, and then look on the side on the, the tapes where you're using we, uh, and that probably tells you where, we're, where you're colluding. Um, uh-huh. The problem is, no organization should be made up of we's and they's. Uh, and the minute you create those right. camps, then you're then you're you know the, sort of your your the limbic system of your brain kicks in as a fight or flight instinct and and so you the every day is an enemy that has to be you know vilified uh, um, vanquished and justified as your uh-huh. you as the victor and proven wrong to your right uh, and we how often do we see sales doing that to marketing or finance doing that to HR or R and D doing that to logistics and supply chain or manufacturing doing that to shipping. Or manufacturing do back to sales, making promises we can't keep, and and so you have all these camps that senior leaders then have to become referees to. So whoever is your nemesis, whoever is your they, that you have concocted into some, you know, alien form who is you know the bane of your organization's existence, you need to step back sharply and ask yourself. Uh, what are the, at least the eight, if not ten, things that are wrong with my perspective? Because I could probably find that many and then some in 15 minutes. Uh, um, oh, I'm sure you can. Boy, that was a very good clue. The, the, I love that, that tip about run the mental tapes in your head. That's, it is so true. Uh, 
If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Art of the CEO radio show, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time floats mysterious to you through the often nearly flawless uh, miasma of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this and all our episodes by visiting theartoftheceo.com. That's theartoftheceo.com. And as an added avenue, you may also enjoy our shows on C-Suite Radio Station. We are now proud members of C-Suite Radio, where business, uh, it really explodes with both profit and and intrigue and and just fun stuff. So uh, to visit all the Art of the CEO episodes, come to c-suiteradio.com as well. Now, Ron, uh, you you used uh, you talked about uh, getting good feedback and setting up good pipelines and so forth. Uh, I, I I agree with you that that I myself would be a very bad and biased observer of of my marvelous self, but my boss probably isn't uh, uh, all uh, any less biased than I am. And besides, it can become sticky to do that sort of thing. How do I set up a pipeline that will afford me regular calibration? But not get me into trouble. Well, well, first of all, pick pick wisely. Pick people who have your best interest at heart, who have who want who who have a reason to want you to succeed other than your lovable self, um, and meet with them regularly. People who who have the chance to observe you in meetings or observe you do, doing your work, um, and negotiate with them that here's what I'm I'm working on. Here's what I need feedback on. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And check in with them to regularly. You know, here's my intention. Here's what's going. Here's what actually happened. Especially when there are dissonance between what you thought was going to happen when you said those words and what actually did happen. Uh-huh. Um, and recognize right. wh- wh- whether you know it or not, you have a reputation. People in, who, that you lead are going home to their homes in the evening, and they are talking to you about you around the dinner table that night. You just need to get better control right, over the right. stories they're telling. Um, and if you don't know what stories they're telling, or you imagine they're telling you these sweeping stories of your heroism and your inspiration, you're probably wrong. <laughs> um, uh, you know, yes, think, of, think of it this way. If you were to leave a very nice dinner party with your significant other and you got right. in the car and he or she said to you, Honey, you've got a big thing hanging off the end of your nose. It's been there all night. Get it off. <laughs> you, you, you might be inclined to want to ask... You tell me now. We all right, yes, have exactly. We exactly. all have things hanging off our behavior that we can't see, and everybody else is talking about them. You should get in on the conversation. Right. Excellent. Well done. Now, Ron, one of the I wanted to talk about now for just very briefly because it's you. You do. And one of the things that you do, uh, quite frankly, most uh, consulting, and particularly when it comes to corporate restructuring and uh, exec development, you get a group of people together who deal with experience. And I'm not saying it isn't correct. I'm just saying they, they, uh, they're, they're basing it, they're, they're basing their advice and advisors on, on experience. But in your book, Rising to Power, and in your company. You kept on a great number of surveys that you took. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you ran the, the, the surveys and, and, uh, and um, for both the book and, and for your company and the benefit they are for you? Well, so we do, uh, we do um, uh, qualitative research, diagnostic interviews that are really forensic and comprehensive in their nature for all of our clients, right? I mean, we treatment without diagnosis is malpractice. Um, nobody would walk into a right. cardiologist 
saying, I've got this really sharp pain right here on the left side of my chest, and want the cardiologist to say, oh, that, yeah, that's probably a stent in your left ventricle. Let's go ahead and put one in. Uh, without any sense of, I, I should look first. Well, no executive should be tinkering with their organization and moving pieces and parts around or, or making changes without understanding doing your own MRI of the organization. So we're pretty rigorous and disciplined about that. Um, so we took 10 years of our diagnostic studies to understand why was it that more than half of, of, of leaders moving into broader positions from the middle to the top were failing in their first 18 months. We've known that statistic for 20 years. The recruiters love it because it's an annuity for them, but it, the carnage behind yeah, yeah. these leaders of otherwise very promising, talented people who could have gone, succeeded, why were they falling by the wayside? Why were families and careers and opportunities being terribly damaged? So we right. isolated about 100 leaders in mid-ascent and, and surveyed them and studied them on their way up, and then we you know, through the wonderful means of artificial intelligence and a, and a variety of analytical tools, looked across our 10 years of data that had more than 2,700 interviews in that database to understand what was causing, what, what were the landmines or organizations were putting in the way of these leaders so, so plentifully to cause them to derail. And if the other half or so were succeeding, they were sticking the landing when they arrived, what were they doing? What, what was allowing them to thrive at higher purchase? So that's the, those were the uh, primary reasons behind the qualitative and quantitative research you're talking about. I, I'm, and I'm glad that you, that, uh, you explained that, but I'm also glad that you do it. And, and, and may I say take heed for, for those who are also in the consulting business that here is, here is something jolly well worth emulating. So uh, at this point, with your hat full of eager tactics that you were going to sweep you into the C-suite, I believe it's time to truly take a brief survey and allow me to proffer you a few utensils from today's Feast of Wisdom. And first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you seriously review your last week's labors and determine what benefit they're bringing to you personally? Or will you continue to follow a path that's really disconnected from your goal? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense your yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. And I'm pulling it out, and I, you know, I'm going to do something. This is a note. This is for. This is going to be in the 103 Best Business Quips book. It's something that was written down later, but I think it fits here. That's why. It's a the valued employee is the one who performs capably every task you ask for. But the one you promote to partner is that guy who keeps constantly surprising you. What do you think, Ron? Is it a good idea to be a limitless fountain of ideas, or is it one of those uh, depends on the boss kind of things? Well, I think it depends on the context. I mean, we all, we've all been around the person whose brain can't shut off and has a new idea <laughs> every five minutes, and sometimes we attribute that to just severe ADD and you know, squirrel, right. and they're off and running. Um, so that person is yeah. an, an annoyance, right? Um, right, right. So I think it's contextualized. If you have great ideas, your boss wants to hear them. But you better have a way to 
right. you know, bringing ideas for your boss to act upon is not helpful. So bringing ideas you're willing to champion, bringing ideas you're willing to execute, seeing opportunities for improvement that really fit your strategy, not just your personal whims or your personal interests, um, and uh-huh. with a plan for how you could see them through, um, that's gold. You know, bringing ideas yeah. that say, here's how I want you to fix this, boss. Here's a problem you should go after. Here's what you get after. You know, so-and-so is, is really b- bad. Here's how you should fire her and give me their job. You know, those kinds of ideas are typically <laughs> not helpful and typically get you dismissed and not taken seriously. Um, oh, you know, yeah. you know, point about the valued employee being the one who does every task you do every day. To, I'm like, okay, I, I don't know who that employee is that does every single task. I like that. That's the person I want to promote. If I had an employee that did every task I asked them to do well every day, I'd be cheering them on. I, I think most leaders would take, you know, 75% of the time would be thrilled. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It's, it's my own afterthought. I, I agree with you that dependability is great, and and it's if you can find it, fabulous. But I do I do sort of have a proclivity, shall we say, as a manager, and would would push toward meteoric growth. That guy who has the near impossible vision. Just my thought. Anyway, if you smirk a bit over that quip, uh, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of a 101 or the 102 best business quip books, and you're going to find your quotable quiver filled with the ultimate meeting attention grabber, a little laughter. And as a third utensil, we sumptuously spoon to you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the individual who said, an acquaintance is a person whom we know well enough to borrow from, but not well enough to lend to. <laughs> Those words were spoken by none other than the author of The Devil's Dictionary, Mr. Ambrose Pierce. Congratulations, all your winners, and stick with us, because later on in the show, blurting your way, comes yet another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind uh, and career-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And before we return to Ron Carucci's very practical tactics for rising to power, allow me to uh, introduce you to the company by whose good graces we are here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing. And Prometheus Publishing today would like you to look at one of their volumes called So That's How They Do It, Tactics from Business Masters. This uh, is not only appropriate for the show. This is one of my favorite books, Project, because of the readership quite frankly. This book was designed uh, for those business folks uh, that we term the energized elite. And and you know who you are. These are the individuals who seek a satisfying career enough to stand up, go after it, rise, as I say, rise up from the swivel chair and seize that better tool and apply it to your own job or your own business. And this is not some uh, seven-step success template. It invites you to look at some of the things that have worked for others and also see what can ponder your own brain. So our hope is that you'll pick up uh, So That's How They Do It, and you may find that at uh, Amazon local stores and most conveniently at bartsbooks.com. Carpe diem, my friend. You are indeed worth it. And now with utensils in hand, uh, why not uh, 
let's well let's turn our uh, career saving spirit back to Ron Carucci, and author of Rise to Power and co-founder of and managing partner of Navalent, the consulting firm. So, Ron, you had said that in one of your surveys, actually, that it wasn't bullying. Uh, the, the major abuse of power that you saw wasn't so much bullying, but it was rather a fear of, uh, try, of, of the executive trying to please everybody in, in, in every corner to make everybody happy. Is, is that so? Yeah, so it was one of the most surprising aspects of what we covered in our study. We assumed when we isolated the dimension of power that we would find the you know Harvey Weinstein types, people who are, use power for self-interest and um, immoral gain right, or personal right. gain, and certainly they were there, not but not nearly as prevalent as the people who abandoned power. And abandoning power is just as much of an abuse of it as um, indulging it. Um, way too right. many leaders get to power and become terrorized by it, fearful of being seen as a power abuser to the point where they bought, they want to purchase loyalty, purchase intimacy, purchase popularity by doling out way too many yeses, by doling out way too many commitments they can't keep um, in the hopes of garnering you know the loyalty of others. And the problem is that that's just not leadership, right? Leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. And if you're unable to do that, that's an irresponsible use of power. And so many leaders right. become, especially when they get to higher levels of uh, organizations from middle manager, where they have employees that they leave that aren't in the same location as them, or they have now two or three levels of people that they, they rarely ever see. And so the reaches of their leadership right. are much further than they're used to. And now suddenly they're on the jumbotron, right? Their whole life, their whole leadership story is uh, out for public view on the jumbotron. There's a megaphone strapped to their mouth that amplifies everything they say and do. They can't even walk down the hallway without having someone attach meaning to it. You know, oh, my gosh, look how fast he's right, walking right. to the – there must be something wrong. And no, he doesn't go to the bathroom. But the, the world is <laughs> – the world is curating your behaviors and curating your choices and your words to you know infinite degrees you can control, and the maddening way out of that makes you just want to sort of try try and control that that narrative with um, with trying to delight people um, and be be popular and be Santa Claus, and that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I, I see that, and I think. Uh... It's it's a way there. It's it should be fairly easy for people to see a way in which they're having a, that they're adopting the Santa Claus men, mentality rather than focusing on the goal at hand and seeing when they lie back at night. That's what I want to be pushing for. Is not my popularity, but get this project through. Correct. Absolutely. One of the greatest gifts you can give your organization is is a narrowed focus of priorities is saying no to even great ideas so that the great, the great ideas you've already committed to can prevail. And especially if you're a middle manager, right. you know what it's like to be whiplashed, right? Um, maybe have some compassion for what might be causing your boss to do it, but certainly when you get there, resolve that you won't. Recognize that narrowing the focus sets the organization up for success and, and high performance. You do all that many yeses and dilute that many resources, you are institutionalizing mediocrity. You are making just meh, okay performance the norm, um, which maybe in a steady state oh. isn't so terrible, but you get one headwind in your face, you get one unforeseen turn in the marketplace, and the bottom is going to fall out from under you. 
Absolutely. Ron, you have given us so much wisdom today. It's very well done, and I'd, I'd love to go on for another hour. But alas, we seem to be coming to the end. And so could you just tell us quickly, A, how can I get a hold of your excellent book, Rise to Power? And also, if I am seeking some corporate restructuring or executive development, how can I reach you and, and the team at Navalent? That's a great question. So if you come visit us at Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com, we've got a, a whole buffet of wonderful things for you. Certainly, if you go into the Resources Books tab, you'll find the research, the research for Rise into Power. You'll find access to the book. You'll find a free executive summary of the book. Um, if you come to our blog, you're going to find great articles on leadership and change and organizational issues of all kinds. We have a free quarterly magazine called the Navalent Quarterly, which you can have uh, in, delivered to your inbox uh, four times a year for free. We have a free ebook on leading transformation. So if you're trying to lead some type of important change uh, in your patch of your organization, certainly come to navalent.com slash transformation and download that book. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Ron Carucci and also on LinkedIn. So I do hope your listeners will want to take their own development and preparation for senior management seriously and give us a call for help. All righty. I think those who, who as, as we say, want to push up and get going certainly would, would do wisely to make that call. Ron, thank you very much for coming on. It's been uh, a great joy, and you have certainly added much to our Feast of Wisdom, and we'd love to have you back on again. Bob, my pleasure. Look forward to it. Okay. So, as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's quotation. <clears throat> Don't worry about people stealing your design work. Worry about the day they stop. Who said that? Uh, well, as a hint, the, uh, the entrepreneurial web designer and magazine founder that, that spoke this is a truly happy cog and a man apart, his words. So, and remember, if you know the author of that quote, so scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be. Send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And it, you are going to win with that a life-changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. Be sure to tune into the Art of the CEO radio show next week to learn how to transform <coughs> excuse me, transform your business from a fruit stand into a supermarket uh, by solving all your clients' needs in one stop. Take a look at your clients, just as the family attorney Carolina Denhard has done with her full-service divorce dynasty. Fabulous tale, quite an example. It's a valuable experience here. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, if your career serves and saves millions of others, yet it brings you no joy, it is a failure. Scrap it, my friend, and take another track. And to you gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the Art of the CEO show as much as Ron and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download this on all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.